Welcome to Let's Talk Transportation, a podcast series of the Broward Metropolitan Planning Organization, also known as the MPF. We talk about the ins and outs of transportation in Broward County and all of Southeast Florida, why it matters, how it works, and the challenges and opportunities related to achieving great transportation. I'm your host, Greg Stewart, Executive Director of the MPF, and I'm joined by... Rufus James, Airport Director at the Fort Lauderdale Executive Airport. Well, how are you doing today, Rufus? I'm doing very well. It's pretty awesome. And we really appreciate you being on. Um, today, I'm going to actually go through like a little bit of an oral history of where we are today. So that way, in the future, people know how we got to where we are and how things progressed. You came to the airport, I want to say, what was it? How many years ago? Uh, yeah, almost 25 years ago, come August 2024, uh, started uh, 1999. So you were five. <laughs> <laughs> I'm often told that, yeah. But, well, uh, <laughs> so you started in 1995. That's really awesome. So t- you must have seen a lot of growth and change. Yes, definitely a lot of growth and change. You know, one of the first things that I encountered when I came here at the airport was uh, the downtown Helistop, the Fort Lauderdale downtown okay. Helistop, which is located in the heart of downtown. Right. Sits above the uh, City Park Mall garage. And we were just on the tail end of completing that. Um, got it completed, still had some other uh, outstanding uh, issues. But uh, by 2002, we did a ribbon cutting ceremony and with that facility allows helicopter operators to land, park for up to four hours, conduct business in the downtown area, and then get back on the helicopter, return to their uh, home location. So I remember when that was going on, I worked in the government center at the time Ah. and I had one of the few windows that faced out that actually looked towards the the parking garage there. Um, a lot of us joked that was the private helipad for uh, our good friend uh, uh, Wayne Heisinger, who uh, wanted to be able to go from Blockbuster, which was in the building there, um, back and forth to his house. So, but that wasn't true, right? That was- no, it wasn't true. And actually, what uh, what it spawned from was the original helistop was located across from City Hall. Between oh. City Hall and the um, one stop shop there. Right. Okay. And so the difficult thing with that facility was all the cables that ran from pole to pole. So for helicopter operators, it was real tricky. I it was very tricky. And, you know, obviously realizing the need to have that uh, facility. Um, we identified that location. And yes, there was some uh, support or a lot of support from uh, Mr. Heisinger. <laughs> and um, he was a real great sponsor for a lot of the things. That yes, I- definitely so. And, you know, obviously we had to go through a process to get that funding and right. so forth. Uh, needless to say, it took too long. So he built his own facility <laughs> on his building. But obviously it's a public use facility. Right. There's no cost to land, no cost to park. And uh, it's just a great uh, economic uh, engine for uh, businesses in the area. So the airport, basically, where you you know where you doing that project, and I would imagine still to the day, as any new building goes into downtown, I guess you would be con- you have to be considered how do they land there, right? The landscape has changed drastically. <laughs> yeah, and uh, again, when I came on board in 1999, it was the Las Olas Towers that was one of those buildings that came online, and uh, it was a head scratcher for us, but. You know, we made it work. Um, today, the uh, corridor to the northwest of the Helistop pad yeah. is uh, protected, if you will, okay. uh, to ensure that 
operators arriving have a straight path into the, uh, the northwest. So what does that do for, I guess that keeps buildings, the heights down? It restricts the height of those buildings. Well, that's great to know, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, we're flying their villages and. Yes. And if you notice, even those have a uh, height restriction as well. Right. Yeah. But Alan Hooper's coming on, um, I think, later today. Okay. And I think that uh, we'll have that conversation with him because that's really a fascinating thing. Yeah. Because there's no real height restriction in downtown, is there? Uh, that, you're, that you're aware and, of. And yes, even with um, some of the other locations where it's like a 500 foot. You yeah. know, uh, height restriction. Again, it has to do with uh, the uh, transitioning of aircraft to even FLL. Uh, the radar system, you know, captures a lot of that traffic coming off of the ocean to enter the pattern to land at uh, uh, FLL. Okay. Uh, and so it's to, again, limit that height to avoid any issues with uh, traffic. And we're sitting in a building just to share with everybody. I don't know if the building will be here one day, but uh, we're at the end of the runway of FXE. Yes. And here this building is, what, about eight, nine stories tall. And we're your clear zone. It's one of the most favorite things for me is sitting here and watching the planes take off or land right over the building uh, because I get to see it as the board members are facing us. (laughs) And uh, it's just one of those things. If I always tell them, if you see me ducking, there's a reason. (laughs) There's a (laughs) duck too. Um, But no, I I guess, you know, this building pre existed before, you know, you coming to the city. But is that also keep the building heights around uh, FXE down because of the runways? Yes, that's definitely something that's taken into consideration, and that's with any airport, any uh, facility that uh, aircraft operate to and fro. Um, In most instances, uh, we have to protect what's considered navigable airspace, uh, runway approach zones, departure zones, and so forth. So uh, it's a process we go through with the FAA, and um, we get their uh, uh, concurrence whether something is not an issue. Uh, if it is an issue, it has to be mitigated. So, some of the biggest clients, I guess, for FXE, um, it's a leasehold facility. You were yes. telling me earlier. Um, what type of clients do you have, and what's the business models for a lot of these folks? Yeah. So, unlike FLL, we are a general general aviation airport, right? And so, general aviation is everything from what I call your weekend warriors, uh, the guys who keep their airplanes in a T hanger and come out on a weekend, you know coffee and donuts, probably only fly once a month. Uh, It's just a cool place to hang out on a weekend. Uh, And uh, it goes to the extreme of obviously your private aircraft owner, jet owner, and so forth. But typically with the businesses, we have what's called a fixed base operator. Okay. Um, They provide fuel services. They provide uh, uh, vehicle services. I, I, I like to dub them the Wawa's of airports, if you will. <laughs> so that's a giant Wawa. Yeah. That's really awesome. But we do have four of those fixed base operators on the airfield. Uh, Banyan Air Service, uh, W Aviation, uh, Atlantic Aviation, and Fort Lauderdale Executive Jet Center. Um, we've had as many as seven FBOs on the airfield uh, over oh. the years. And obviously what has happened over those years uh, is a change to the minimum standards. Um, so in the past, it was probably if you had less than five acres, someone would call themselves uh, FBO. Okay. So we really had to lay the groundwork and establish standards to really and truly identify what a fixed base operator should be. And so today we do have four fixed base operators and uh, Banyan um, actually has been on the airfield for more than 45 years. Wow. So um, 
basically started from, you know, a small hangar to what they are now as a major uh, FBO, not just uh, here in the airport, but also in the country. Well, and the businesses around the airport, because I've been down here most of my life, mm-hmm. um, when uh, this particular building was built, it was a guy named James Knight okay. uh, from Boca Raton, and uh, he built this. I went to high school with his uh, son. Wow. And I remember coming here when it was under construction, and we would uh, take the elevator, the construction elevator outside, up as high as we could get it, and then we would sit there and watch the planes take off and land. Yeah. It was really fascinating. Right. Um, You know, I could never run an airport, but, you know, I did see one. (laughs) That said, you know, there's a lot of really cool things that you realize that happened to FXE over the years. But, you know, when it comes to, I, I mean, one of the things we hear a lot about is construction materials and things moving out of the airport and like going to the Bahamas or going to uh, the Turks and Caicos. Is that like a very big production for you guys? It's not for the airport itself, but definitely the uh, business operators. Like I said, the the fixed base operators yeah. and so forth, um, they uh, will service those aircraft. And uh, those items that are going to the Bahamas will be delivered to their facility to load on that aircraft. Um, you know, I can share with you, uh, I believe it was Dorian, Hurricane Dorian that battered the Bahamas. Um, when it was, uh, when there was a need to get supplies to those who were affected greatly. Um, yeah. yeah, I know Banyan Air Service uh, pretty much opened their doors to allow a lot of those supplies and goods get transported to uh, the Bahamas. And so, you know, it was a disruption to their business. Right. But out of the kindness of their heart, they, uh, you know, realized there was a need. And so uh, they provided a hangar to store a lot of those uh, items. And as the airplanes went back and forth, uh, it was, yeah, loaded with those items. I think that's really, um, you know, when you look at how we help our fellow people, we're all here in the South, yeah. you know, in, in South Florida, basically. Even the Bahamas are, you yeah. know, just a spit away. Um, you know, we're all part of one big family. The immigration location that's there, I remember when that, when you had the grand opening of that facility. Can right. you, I'm Clearly, you were all involved with that. Can you tell me a little bit about that, too? Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, and that has some history behind it. Um, going back to the 1970s, uh, Customs and Border Protection was a side-by-side trailer. You know, um, it was uh, two officers and uh, realizing the importance of Customs and Border Protection as things got more busier at FLL, uh, we moved into an actual building that was about 1,200 square feet. Um, When I came on board, there was several discussions of expanding that building, and that took some time. But we finally were able to get the, the, the standard for what that building should be. Okay. And we started the process to get it constructed. And what was interesting is at that time, the airport was probably number two or number three in the country for customs clearing okay. as a general aviation airport. Uh, so we went from that 1,200 square foot facility to an 8,000 square foot facility, wow. essentially broke the mold for what the standard should be for General Aviation Airport's customs buildings. Yeah. And today we are number one in the country for busiest customs clearing facility as a General Aviation Airport. That's really cool. Yeah. And yeah. So yeah. what was number one back then? Uh, FLL on the uh, south side, uh, Shelter Air, okay. uh, where their facility was. And is that because of uh, stuff going back and forth with the Bahamas directly? or Several things, it- actually. Uh, so, w- again, when I started here, the 
uh, standard operating time was from eight to five. Okay. And we realized that a lot of the operators who came here would then after five o'clock go to FLL. Okay. Have to shut down, go through that process, get back on the plane, fire up the engine, get into the pattern to come and land here at their home base. Mm. So we requested an extension of hours to Customs and Border Protection. Right. And we went till 9 p.m. So we got that, tried it out for a few months. They said, okay, yes, we see the numbers. You have extended hours. In 2015, I realized that we needed more hours and made the request to have it go till midnight. And they extended the hours to midnight. So now we're open from eight in the morning till uh, midnight. Uh, 12 a.m. So as an economic engine, really, this is you guys are just driving Southeast Florida. It, it really is an economic engine. You know, uh, FDOT, FDOT does a uh, economic impact study every year of all the airports in the state. Uh, it's about 129 airports uh, from, again, your small grass strip to your major FLL, Miami, Orlando and so forth. Right. And that's done every four years. Uh, in 2014, when it was done, um, it was $839 million economic impact, uh, 5,000 jobs. Um, in 2018, when it was done again, uh, we went to uh, $2.1 billion economic impact wow. and uh, 12,000 jobs. Uh, it was completed last year. It jumped to $3.9 billion economic impact and 23,000 jobs. So in the last 10 years or so, uh, you've seen that economic impact grow significantly. You know, the funny thing is we had Mark Gale on the other day and we were mm-hmm. talking about the economic impacts of of uh, FLL. And then it's just like, it made me think about you, about what you've been doing out there. And yeah. the very cool and, and um, I guess, what would you say, covert? Um, you know, no one knows it's happening, <laughs> but it's happening. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, you must be... Did you grow up down here or, did you, or are you from? No, no. I'm originally from St. Lucia, St. Lucia. Uh, small island in the Caribbean. Been there. Love that. <laughs> uh, good to hear that. Good to hear that. Um, and migrated to the United States when I was about five years old. Okay. Um, uh, lived in New York for a few years. Um, got tired of that lifestyle. Our, my parents and we. Old. Yeah. <laughs> but we moved to Connecticut. Um, <laughs> But after college, um, you know, I, I spent a few years in the army, went back to Connecticut. Yeah. And after college, um, my wife and I, yeah, we made the decision, let's move to Florida. Um, and so, as you mentioned, Mark Gale, it's interesting. Uh, when we moved here in 1997, I worked at FLL for two years. Okay. And when I had the opportunity to come to uh, Fort Lauderdale Executive Airport, um, it, it was, you know, folks at the larger airports that worked with me said, why do you want to go to a small airport? Right. And what I can tell you that has been beneficial about that is I get to wear a different hat every day. You know, uh, there's nothing more satisfying than when you wake up in the morning. I'm not scratching my head, you know, man, do I want to go to work today? It's I want to go to work today because I got stuff to do. And there's always something different to do every day at the airport. And and that has just been a great pleasure. being able to to come here and yeah the last 25 years uh just so, been a lot done so when you were in the you were in the army um you came went to connecticut what fascinated you about you know working at an airport working in air, aviation so as most aviation guys uh initially it's to become a pilot okay right and so you didn't go to emory riddle 
No, I didn't go to improv. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, and uh, I, I know I'll have to take a dig at uh, some of my counterparts like uh, Mark Gale. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, <laughs> but uh, University of New Haven in Connecticut. Okay. Uh, and it was a small program. Um, we had maybe about 30 students in the uh, program. But yeah, did the flight thing, got my pilot's license. Awesome. And again, during the 90s, as most of us would know, um, you had some slowdown in the industry. Uh, it was, are you getting furloughed? You know, um, what's the pay like? Are you going to be sleeping on your mom's couch? <laughs> you know, and so I made the decision that um, I have to get into something else because uh, uh, for what it would cost to get all my certificates and, you know, not only if there's going to be a job, let me have a plan B. Yeah. And the plan B was going into airport management. And that's, uh, that's where you lasted. Yes. It's it, really kind of cool that you do that. I mean, it, you it know. worked out perfectly, I can say. Um, uh, and I'm grateful for the opportunity that I've had with it. Um, and I've been enjoying it ever since. Well, 25 years in the system, that's a long time, too. You, know? you and I <laughs> yes. both are, I guess, vested, they want to say, yeah. uh, which is, is kind of neat. So where do you think you see the FXE going? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's this huge powerhouse of the region. I mean, what, what do you what do you see? Where are you going to take it? And then when are you going to hand it off? And, <laughs> and where do you where would you like your successor to take it? Yeah, yeah. Now, well, um, one of the things that uh, I take great pride in is the uh, mission statement of the airport, which is to attract businesses to the area, help those businesses prosper and be a benefit to the community. And so the airport celebrated its 75th anniversary uh, in 2022. And um, a lot of history there, uh, very rich in history. And so realizing that, uh, yeah, my time is short. I I know I'm going to eventually have to hang up my hat. Um, A few years ago, one of the things that stood out the most to me was, what are we giving back to the community, right? And so... For myself growing up, wanting to be a pilot, I had access to airports. Right. I had access to uh, airplanes. You know, prior to 9-11, you can walk out onto an airport like this and touch the airplane. A pilot would say, hey, kid, you want to go flying? You know. You could be in the plane, yeah. You could be in the plane. But 9-11 put up more barriers, right? So I wanted to find a way to bring kids back into the realm of aviation, make them aware that it's something that's achievable. If you want to be a pilot, yes, you can do it. If you want to be an air traffic controller, there's just so many jobs, you know. And so I figured one way to do that was to open our doors to the community. Okay. And so uh, a few years ago, I met with uh, Valerie Vitali of Trust Rich Hospice. Yep. And we um, came up with uh, an idea. I wanted to do a marathon for the uptown area, <laughs> but um, my counterpart uh, said to me, Rufus, rather than shooting for the stars, how about we just try to land on the moon? <laughs> and so we came up with the 5K. Right. And so that allowed us to do two things, bring the community out to the airport to make them realize that we are part of the community. Right but also to benefit the TrustBridge organization. And so the funds that are raised from that 5K goes to that organization. And uh, today we've raised over $400,000, approximately $400,000 for that organization by doing that 5K on the runway. That's awesome. So so that's given back to the community. Um, But also moving forward, it's trying to create a program for kids that, and not just kids, but 
you know, going back to elementary school through high school and getting them prepared for jobs in aviation. You know, um, again, I think most kids don't realize that getting a job at an airport is accessible. So it's to make them aware of what's available along those lines. As it relates to the continued growth of the airport, you know, for many years, there was a uh, lawsuit hanging over the uh, city of not being able to extend the runway, um, restricting certain types of aircraft from operating at the airport. We're able to get that lifted. We did our master plan in 2019 and uh, did a thousand foot extension and it it was needed. It really was needed uh, because you see the business jets that come in and out of here every day. Uh, yes, they can operate on 6,000 feet, but they need that extra thousand so they don't have to stop somewhere else for fuel. They don't have to take a fuel penalty. And so the next thing we're working on is uh, extending that runway. We're in the process right now at the FAA of doing an environmental assessment to okay. see what that impact is. But as of now, the FAA has approved our justification for the extension. And I hope to have that done before I do leave the city. Yeah, you got to. I mean, you can't go. <laughs> you you got to get that finished. I agree. Yeah. Uh, Rufus, thanks for joining us today. And, uh, you know, really, honestly, you know, your championship and your leadership in the community is phenomenal. Thank you. Um, you know, trying to uh, make a difference, which is really what it's all about, yeah. is, you know, the legacy we leave. Yeah. You know, in the end, is is probably the most important thing we can all do. I appreciate your time being here. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate right. it. Thank you. The Let's Talk Transportation podcast is produced by the Broward MPO, where every day we fund and implement projects that move people and goods, create jobs, and strengthen communities. Learn more at BrowardMPO.org and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Speak Up Broward. If there is a transportation topic you'd like to know more about, let us know by sending an email to info at BrowardMPO.org. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance in the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by MPO employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the view of the MPO or any of its officials. For complaints, questions, or concerns about civil rights or non-discrimination, or for special requests under the Americans with Disabilities Act, please contact Carl Ema, Title VI Coordinator, at 954-876-0052 or emac at browardmpo.org.